everyone and welcome to episode 9 of the Real World Podcast, where we will be discussing superpowers. Sophie will begin with discussing the cat islands in Japan, with Anushka following on um, in our climate change news story of the week about deforestation. She will then talk about what makes a superpower and different types of power, and I will cover the history of different superpowers and empires. Finally, Sophie will talk about the role of physical geography and Yunklos. So Sophie, what is Cat Island? So Cat Island is, well, it's a group of islands in Japan, and so there are a number of them all around Japan, and I'm going to be talking about one in particular called Tashirojima Island, and it's a short ferry ride away from Japan's east coast. So the island actually only has a population of around 100 people, however there are many more cats than there are people. Originally the cats were encouraged since the island produced silk, and mice are a natural predator of silkworms, so cats were used to help um, get rid of the mice and keep the population down. But now, local people believe that feeding the cats will bring wealth and good fortune. The island has a cat shrine and newly built cat-shaped cabins for tourists to stay in. And of course, no dogs are allowed on the island. So it's a really great video if, from the BBC if you want to look that up. It's, it's quite interesting. Very cool. <laughs> um, I'm not much of a cat person myself, no. so I probably wouldn't go to that island, but... For any of you out there. Yeah, I think I'm definitely a dog person. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so I'll be doing the climate change story of the week, uh, which is talking about um, Brazil deforestation, which has probably been in the news a lot um, that you've seen to do with the COP26 summit. So deforestation in Brazil's Amazon rainforest has hit its highest level in over 15 years um, and was increased by 22% in a year. So this is not great news considering that Brazil was among many nations who promised to end and reverse deforestation by 2030 during the COP26 summit. The Amazon rainforest is a really important asset as it's home to about 3 million species of plants and animals and 1 million indigenous people. So not only is deforestation destructive for wildlife and ecosystems but also for the people that live there and rely on it. It's also a a vital carbon store that slows down the pace of global warming. So hopefully this um, rate of deforestation slows down, as I said, especially following the COP26 summit. It's not a great sign that um, the rate is actually increasing rather than reversing and decreasing. So we're going to start on the superpower main segment of this episode. Um, So I'll begin by talking about what actually makes a superpower and what is a superpower. So a superpower is a country that has a global influence um, and can influence other countries. So the USA is currently the only standing superpower, but China is um, upcoming and is many think will be um, a rival to USA for a superpower status. Um, so superpowers have been around for a long time. For example, the Ottoman, Ottoman and British Empire, which Esme will talk about later. Um, but what has changed is how they influence each other and especially technology has had a, bin, a big impact in this. So there are five main factors which all need to be considered when deciding if a country is a superpower. Um, the economy forms the foundation of a su- successful superpower because essentially having money within a country means that you can invest in the other areas and grow them and make them stronger. So the four other factors are military, particularly international machinery like aircraft carriers, which means that their power can be exerted all over the globe. Political, which is usually democratic, and also the use of embassies in different countries. 
cultural, so global TNCs play a big part of this, TNCs being transnational companies, so like Coca-Cola or um, Google, things like that. And resources, so the access to natural resources gives the country power over who they supply it to and therefore able to exert an influence like Russia with natural gas. So there are a few types of um, power which can be exerted by any country really, but especially superpowers. And this is on a scale from hard power to soft power. So hard power is direct influence, trying to control a country by aggressive means, often using military power or economic sanctions to try and starve the economy. Equally, a threat of military invasion can also act as hard power. So even if you're not actually firing on a country, saying that you will if they do something or having your troops on standby, things like that, is a type of hard power. Soft power is getting a country to want to live like you or have moral and cultural influence. And this is largely achieved through um, TNCs and political influence. Um, so the USA is one that this can really be seen. Like with McDonald's as an American company being spread around the globe and kind of influencing the culture of fast food consumption. So the other two types of power are smart and sharp power. So smart power is a mixture of hard and soft power and is basically in the middle of hard and soft on the scale of power. Um, and this can be embassies in the country having a political influence, for example. And sharp power is trying to influence a country or other countries through misinformation and min so type of like manipulative power. So spreading misinformation, things like that. So now I'll hand over to Esme for the history of superpowers. So interestingly, the first use of the term superpower to mean a great power amongst other world powers was in 1944 during World War II to describe the United States, Great Britain and the Soviet Union. And at the end of the Cold War and with the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991, the US became the world's sole superpower. However, there have been many other countries throughout history who may have been associated with the term superpower that we use today. For example, the British Empire. So in the 16th century, Britain began to establish overseas colonies, and by 1783, Britain had built a large empire with colonies in America and the West Indies. Between 1497 and 1763, English seamen reached places Europeans had not previously been and set up colonies and used them to trade all over the world. However, Britain used hard power to take over these lands and many people were enslaved as a result of the expansion of the empire. So there were many controversies surrounding colonisation, as I'm sure many of you are aware because they're often in the news. But in the 19th and early 20th century, some historians argued that the empire was the deserved result of Britain's technological and moral superiority. So they argued that British rule established formal systems of government, law and education, as well as the development of infrastructure. So this was essentially the idea that Britain and British people were more advanced than perhaps Aboriginal Australians or Native Americans. However, many modern historians argue that it is unacceptable to say that colonised peoples did not have or would not have developed their own entirely valid forms of government, laws and infrastructures without the influence of British Empire. So there are many impacts of uh, colonisation under the British Empire 
And many historians argue that you can't talk about the British Empire without examining the more shameful aspects of Britain Britain's past, such as Britain's heavy involvement with the transatlantic slave trade in the 17th, 18th and 19th centuries. The British Empire also stripped many colonies and indigenous peoples of their land and culture, for example the Aboriginal in Australia and the indigenous peoples of the United States. In India, colonisation resulted in the increase of land taxation and a lack of reserve crop, which together with poor weather conditions caused many deaths due to famine, disease and violence. Colonisation also had a similar impact in Kenya in the 1950s. So I have a question for you. Um, so talking about the impacts of colonisation, I know that especially like white Western countries um, played a role in drawing up the borders in Africa, for example, and this has caused a lot of conflict. So they didn't really take into consideration the cultural differences that exist there. So do you think that countries that have colonised have a role in dealing with the conflicts that they leave behind? I think definitely. I think we've seen with many great powers, um, well, for example, the US today, have been involved in uh, countries and used them for things such as their oil reserves for energy and then left them with conflict and political instability. So I think to some extent, yes, they do have responsibility to help because you know, they are one of the major reasons um, that some of these countries have so much instability. But at the same time, they have to make sure that by trying to help, they're not worsening it and therefore stopping the development of the country by itself. So by, well, for example, the US trying to prop up Afghanistan, but it was quite unsuccessful um, because then obviously the Taliban takeover was much quicker um, than anticipated. So I think it has to be sustainable change that takes into account all the different cultural traits of the country and help, um, yeah, help with its independence. Yeah. So leading on from that, um, I'm going to talk about the British Empire today. So the British Empire was dismantled and replaced by a voluntary organisation of former colonies called the Commonwealth. So in 1926, the British government agreed to the Balfour Declaration that Canada, Australia, New Zealand and South Africa were completely independent countries, freely associated as members of the British Commonwealth of Nations. In 1947, India and Pakistan were given independence. In 1960, the British Prime Minister Harold Macmillan admitted there was a wind of change in Africa and most of Britain's African and Caribbean colonies achieved independence in the 1960s. In 1973, Britain joined the European Economic Community and became part of the trading community, community based on free trade between the countries of Europe. And in 1997, Britain formally handed Hong Kong back to China. So nowadays, Britain still has 14 former colonies, but they are now known as British Overseas Territories. So another empire was the Ottoman Empire. And this was started by a man called Osman I, a leader of the Turkish tribes in Anatolia, which founded the, empire, the Ottoman Empire around 1299. The term Ottoman is derived from Osman's name, which was Ottoman in Arabic. In 1453, Mehmed II, the Conqueror, 
led the Ottoman Turks in seizing the ancient city of Constantinople, the Byzantine Empire's capital. This put an end to the 1,000-year reign of the Byzantine Empire. Sultan Mehmed renamed the city Istanbul and made it the new capital of the Ottoman Empire. Istanbul became a dominant international centre for trade and culture. At its height, the Ottoman Empire included the following regions. Turkey, Greece, Bulgaria, Egypt, Hungary, Macedonia, Romania, Jordan, Palestine, Lebanon, Syria, some of Arabia, and considerable amount of the North African coastal strip. So the Ottomans were known for their achievements in art, science, and medicine, and Istanbul and other major cities throughout the empire were recognised as artistic hubs, especially during the reign of Suleiman the Magnificent. And so the end of the Ottoman Empire came instead of a gradual independence, like in the British colonies, after World War One, when they fought on the side of Germany and lost. The empire was then dismantled by a treaty and came to an end in 1922, when the last Ottoman Sultan, Mehmed VI, was deposed and left the capital of Istanbul in a British warship. So again, um, the Ottoman Empire utilised a lot of hard power um, and whilst it was very cultural and artistically advanced, it um, was a, well, I guess some would say a terrible colonial rule. Now, more on to today and what creates a superpower. Anushka is going to talk about the role of physical geography in creating a superpower. Yeah, so kind of as I spoke about before, the actual physical geography and landscape of the country and the land plays quite an important role in determining which countries are going to be a superpower or have superpower status. So natural resources obviously play a big part in this. um, And because if you have resources then you can trade and you can build your economy and you can be better off and invest in other areas of your country but also all of these factors that I'm going to talk about they need to work together and build on each other to to create a superpower for example you know Saudi Arabia has massive access to natural resources but is not a superpower so they can't be seen in isolation really Um, Access supports also plays a big part, especially um, in the more historical times, like Esme was talking about when we didn't have um, air travel because the main, well, yeah, the main um, system of transport and um, trade was through ships and overseas. So if you had access supports, then you're more able to make um, trade. Um, Yeah, such as Russia's annexation of Crimea in 2014 in order to access the port of Sebastopol um, where which is a warm water deep water port in order to have a base for their navy which didn't freeze in the winter because obviously Russia is a very northern country and is very cold yeah (laughs) I think part of that um, climate plays a really important part in um, superpower status because if you're in a sort of desert barren land that's either too hot or too cold then it's really hard to build civilizations and be successful. Um, Natural disasters and flooding can also play an important part you know areas like Haiti that have frequent earthquakes find it really difficult to 
build back their economy and their infrastructure and remain successful. They're kind of constantly being knocked down by their um, you know, geographical location. And also water availability can play a key part in this because people need water. So without water, you're kind of struggling. And also for agriculture, you need water. So yeah, I just think it's really interesting how the actual land that countries are on um, play such a key part in the success of the civilizations. It's not just about the society and the governments and the businesses. It's actually also always like, well, not always, most of the time predetermined by um, the actual physical geography. So not to be undermined. <laughs> um, so as Anushka was mentioning about what makes a superpower and military, as well as the role of physical geography and access to ports, Sophie's going to talk about the Yunklos and China in the Southeast China Sea. Yeah, so Yunklos is, it stands for the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, and it means that countries can claim the right to exploit resources in an area of up to 200 nautical miles beyond their coastline, so it's in their exclusive economic zone. So this would mean that oil, gas and fish are owned within 200 nautical miles of a country and therefore can be used and traded with other countries. And so countries such as China have tried to extend their influence and extend this um, area of 200 nautical miles, therefore um, helping them to increase, increase trade routes and have access to the resources to help grow their economy. So they've been doing this by creating artificial islands. So in the South and East China Seas, China have been trying to extend their power and gain access to resources which they otherwise wouldn't have um, due to the Yunklos um, law on the Convention of the Sea. So China's claims are based on assertions that, that the disputed islands are Chinese territory because they're sitting on an extension of its continental shield. So basically it means that um, these islands are potentially within their 200 nautical mile zone, but it, it's really um, contested as to who they actually belong to. The islands could be economically important as they may harbour gas and oil, which are obviously very, very valuable, at least as it is now. And there are some islands in the South China Sea called the Spratly Islands, and these have been claimed by six different countries, so they really are very contested in who owns them. Um, and China have built a military base there in order to extend their presence in the area and exert hard power. China's recent strategy in the area has been to occupy deserted islands and to artificially build larger or even new islands, especially in the Spratly Islands, um, therefore helping to extend their 200-mile nautical influence. So there's the Fiery Cross Reef, um, which is in the Spratly Islands, and it's a militarised reef which the Chinese have created to extend their influence on the area. So this reef has helped to um, therefore increase their 200 mile um, influence, and especially with their military, which for the Chinese is an extremely large part of their superpower status, or at least growing superpower status. So um, this reef has really helped them to extend their influence. In the East China Sea, China and Japan are in disputes over the Senkakus region, where there are oil and gas reserves. And there's also another place in the South China Sea called Scarborough Shoal. It's near the Philippines and it's a reef where fishermen sometimes shelter from the storms. And recently, China's military ships sailed into this area and despite being asked to by the UN, they've been refusing to leave. So this has created tensions between them and the surrounding countries. Okay, so that's where we reach the end of this episode. We hope you enjoy, and we're obviously going to leave you with some recommendations if you found this topic interesting, so you can read or listen to it in more detail. 
So I just wanted to say that Prisoners of Geography is a good book um, for the role of physical geography in superpowers not only superpowers but just how countries operate and um it's often the reasons behind lots of the history that we know within the country and guns germs and steel is a short history of the last 13,000 years um <laughs> in, in which kind of sounds like a juxtaposition but i promise you it's it's not that long um of why some countries have developed quicker. So, for example, why the US is today's world, today's only superpower, and why, for example, the EU is also um, very, very important. So, but that's a bit, I would say, maybe a higher level. So, well done for getting to the end of this uh, episode. And we'll see you in two weeks' time for episode 10 of the Real World Podcast. Bye. 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 Bloopers, 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 bloopers. Okay, so, um... Here are our bloopers. (laughs) Have fun! If you made it to the end of the episode, here are some bloopers. Woo! Hi everyone. Uh, when it's red. This is not great news um, following the fact that Brazil was among many nations who promised to end and reserve. Reserve. So, Sophie. Because <laughs> <laughs> you start about um, Brazil deforestation, which has probably been in the news a lot um, that you've seen to do with the COP26 summit. But, um, deforestation Brazil... (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's actually going to be cool. So, this is not great news, considering that (laughs) Brazil... That's not going to be cool. McDonaldization. Just... Should we just post two? Uh (laughs) So, Sophie will become... However, there have been a lot of... (laughs) No, sorry. I'm such as bringing... Okay. <laughs> Freely associated as members of the British Commonwealth Nations. <laughs> I know. So thank you very much and well done to getting the end of this podcast. Episode. <laughs> and yeah, no, it's not again. <laughs> if you... Please, please, please. No, it's <laughs> better! You...